took this verse and ministered it to my heart he said yeah you know you could lose heart but you believe you'll see my hand at some point so wait upon me be of good courage God will strengthen your heart wait upon him and I think that that's a word for some of us today I think some of us need to take our pens and write Psalm 27 13 and 14 on our arms Psalm 27 verses 13 and 14 say, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is not the end of your story today. Whatever it is you're facing, God is not finished with you yet. If you're stuck in the despair of your circumstances, take Pastor Daniel's advice and write this verse out today. Remember to wait for the Lord. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, as he continues his message when everything goes wrong. So this is within the the area of Judah. And of course, what tribe was Jesus from? Judah. That's why he's known as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. So I'm bringing this in because all of this is going to kind of come on into the story as we go. Now, what's also interesting, and I just wanted to bring it up, that you notice that they're called Ephrathites. And in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that great prophecy about the coming of Jesus, it says that he comes from Bethlehem, Ephrathah. So Ephrathah was another name for Bethlehem. Then you might be like, well, why is that the case? Well, listen, you know, we live here in the Portland metro area. And so there's other names for Portland, right? What could you call Portland? The Rose City, you can call it Bridgetown, right? Just like for us here in Vancouver, we're also known as Vantucky. So I just bring that up because there's multiple names for places, right? Now, what we find out, of course, is this family moves 50 miles to Moab because there's a famine and they're trying to find sustenance. But what we find out there is that in verse 3, of course, Elimelech dies, So now all of a sudden, there's a famine in the land. They go to Moab, and Naomi loses her husband, but she still got her two sons. And then it says her two sons, Malon and Chilion, take wives of Moab, right? So Orpah and Ruth, right? So the two sons get married, but then we find out, of course, that both Malon and Chilion also died. So they've been in Moab for 10 years. Naomi has lost her husband, lost her two sons, And over a decade has passed. Now, would you say that that's messy? Yes, it is. And this is the context where this happens. Now, the reason I bring this up, remember I said your messy life happens in context? One of the things we're always trying to do with the scriptures is we want to understand it in the context that it's happening in. But we also want to learn how the Spirit of God can take that and translate it into our life. So for you today, maybe your context is this happened in the time when Donald Trump was the president and insert whatever your geopolitical issues are going on in the world today. And then your story starts to unfold. See, it happens in a context. What is the context that your messy life exists in? See, one of the things that I have found is that everyone's life is messy, but we really struggle to admit it. 
But I always say that life is messy. That's true. But what is also true? That Jesus is real. I wrote that book honestly because of that. Because it's like, I'm like, everyone's life is messy, whether you want to admit it or not. Things don't quite work out the way you want it to. You got your plan. And when does our plans ever really work out? Or when they do work out, often the unintended consequences of it working out is not working out. Right? So we have this indelibly messy existence, but the truth isn't only that life is messy. It's also that if you were allowed Jesus to be the Lord of the mess of your life, now all of a sudden he leverages that mess to bring apart and bring into existence things that he wants. And so one of the things that I have found over and over and over again is that if you're willing to trust Jesus, he transforms the messes of your life. But for many people, the messes of their lives drive them away from Jesus, not to Jesus. They see the messes of their lives as liabilities and not assets to Jesus. But when you bring your messy life to an amazing savior, it becomes the spot of amazing transformation. Naomi lost everything, but she did have her two daughter-in-laws. But I was reminded of this verse. I think it applies really important to not only this situation, but to all of our messy lives. It's Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14, where it says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would have seen the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Now, can I be honest with you? That psalm was written years and years after this is going on for Naomi. But in the midst of this messy moment in her world, don't you think Naomi would have loved if someone came and quoted that verse to her? Because you know what? When I was driving in my car, contemplating my next employment opportunities, God took this verse and ministered it to my heart. He said, yeah, you know, you could lose heart, but you believe you'll see my hand at some point. So wait upon me. Be of good courage. God will strengthen your heart, wait upon him. And I think that that's a word for some of us today. I think some of us need to take our pens and write Psalm 27, 13, and 14 on our arms. Because your messy life happens in context, but your messy life isn't the whole story. And if you wait upon the Lord, you have good courage. You let God strengthen your heart, you wait upon him. You will see his goodness this side of eternity. But for many of us, the messes draw us away, leave us hopeless. Now, from there, we start to see how things begin to unfold. In verse 6, it says this. Then she, speaking of Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore, verse 7, she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back my daughters. Why will you go with me? 
Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they are grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and left. Now, lots is going on here. So Naomi hears that now the famine is over in Judah, that the Lord has given them bread. Don't miss that, right? That now there's bread in the house of bread. Just like in the perfect time God sent Jesus. There was a spirit. And at the perfect time God sent bread to the people. So Naomi hears this. She brings her daughters-in-law. And she wants to go back. But then Naomi realizes that the situation for not only for her. But for her daughters-in-law is a very vulnerable situation. Now a woman in that culture without her husband and without sons is considered a widow and is, in that culture, was incredibly vulnerable. Because it was long before a day and age where women worked outside of the home and all these type of things. So the protection for a single woman without a husband and sons was precarious. And now she's got her two daughters-in-law. So Naomi thinks to herself, you know what? I need to say goodbye to these women. They're in Moab. Before she goes back to Judah, she says, I want to say goodbye to my daughters-in-law. But the way that Naomi does it is absolutely amazing. Because look at what she says to them, right? She says to them, go and return to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of his husband. So she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and they wept. Now, you want an important principle, brothers and sisters? We need to learn how to bless as you say goodbye. Do you notice what she does? She's saying goodbye to these women. And legitimately, she's thinking to herself, I want to bless them. She said, may God bless you and deal kindly with you just the way you did with my sons and with me. See, she sends them away with blessing. You know why I think this is so important? Because for many of us, we have learned the art of going scorched earth with people when you say goodbye. It's like a cultural phenomenon, right? If someone leaves your life, you tell them all the things you never liked about them. And you never told them those things when they were there. But on the way out, you talk trash to them and you go scorched earth. And I'm here to tell you, that's a terrible witness. It's a horrible witness, As if you telling them all the things that you never liked about them when you say goodbye is actually edifying or God-honoring, right? So Naomi blesses these girls as she says goodbye. Now, it's so funny. I always tell you that I pray to live my messages, and I actually lived this this week. I had someone saying goodbye to me, and they went scorched earth on the way out. And I was so bummed when it happened. And you expect, especially people who have been walking with Jesus a long time, that they, they get it. But they don't always get it. But here's the thing. I'm not responsible for anybody else. I'm responsible for me. Be the kind of people who bless people when you say goodbye. Because you realize that what most people remember about you is how you start and how you end. So bless people on the way out. If people are leaving your life, don't say, oh, I'm so happy you're finally leaving. I've been so sick of you since 1987. (laughs) 
You know, and then you got that haircut and I just, like, I mean, it just looked awful on you. But I loved you so much, I wouldn't tell you, but I'll tell you now because I don't love you anymore. You know, it's like, we can be so petty. But Naomi is saying goodbye to her and she's blessed. Listen, you dealt kindly with me. May the Lord deal kindly with you. She sent these girls away with such blessings. And I think it's power. But she also sent them away because she knew it was in their best interest. Because you know, when you read what she's saying to them, it's kind of odd for us, isn't it? Because they're kissing each other, and they're saying goodbye, and they say, we don't want to go. Now, isn't that beautiful, the love that these women have for each other? Because the love that they have for each other was born through the messes of life. See, these women went through the loss of a father-in-law and a husband for Naomi, and spouses and brother-in-laws and husbands, and This shared ordeal knit their hearts together. There's a sociologist named Victor Turner who's done studies about communities and he talks about the difference between a community, which is a group of people who live in proximity together, and then what he calls communitas, or the Latin word for community, which is a community that is truly not just people together, but people whose hearts are knit together. And he says the difference between a community and communitas is the shared ordeal that they go through. Right? Like, so... I was talking to my grandfather about this because my grandfather, you know, he's 94. He's a World War II veteran. And my grandfather, when we, I got to spend time with him last week and we were talking about it. He's like, you know, Daniel, he's like, World War II really changed America. He's like, because I was first generation born in America, all Italian. But by the time World War II was over, I was an American. And I'm serving with all these different people. And we're going through this whole thing together. And we're all from different nationalities. And for a lot of us, it was first generation in this country, first generation born here. But we came in with all of our ethnicities and we left American because we went through this thing together. And my grandpa was saying, and it kind of makes me sad seeing the world today because our culture doesn't have those shared ordeals that we don't have a sense of something bigger than ourselves. We're just individuals. Now, Victor Turner makes the case that The shared ordeal is the key to forging a real community. You know, and I just want to say this because I think it's important. If you're one of those people who feel like I don't have anybody in my corner, I want to encourage you to serve. Go through a shared ordeal with your brothers and sisters here. I guarantee you go through it. And then you're like, you're inviting me into an ordeal. That's listen, friendships are forged in the fire. That's how it happens. But for too many, it's like, I don't want the ordeal, but really what you end up with is you end up with a lack of deep relationships. You're not growing. And so these women love each other so profoundly because they've gone through all this stuff together. But then Naomi says, no, no, listen, but you guys, you have to go home. Why? Because I don't have any other sons for you to get married to. And everyone in 21st century America is like, what? Right? Now, let me explain this to you. What Naomi is concerned about is something called the Leverite marriage of Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 to 10. Now, I'm not going to read the whole passage. Write it down if you want to read it later. But remember I told you that women were vulnerable if they were unmarried because it was a different culture than the one that we live in now. Now, what went on in that culture is that if the oldest brother was married and the oldest brother was responsible to keep the family name going, if the oldest brother and his wife, if the oldest brother died, the next younger brother needed to marry the, his older brother's widow and the firstborn son was actually the older brothers. Now, I know everyone's just like, that sounds weird. And everyone else is saying, praise God that that's not happening today. But in that culture, it was a way to protect women from being in that vulnerable position. And you can imagine, I mean, think about the family dynamics when one of your siblings is getting married, right? You're like, I hope this is a good person to add to our marriage. Now, imagine if you were the, in that culture, if you're the next youngest son and your older brother's getting married, 
Can you imagine that thing? He'd be like, oh, wait, you're not marrying her now. I mean, if, if you croak, I'm going to have to deal with her. You know? Now, I'm not trying to like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, but just, just try to put yourself in this culture and try to imagine what it is. Or you can imagine if he really doesn't like his brother's wife, that younger brother do anything to keep his older brother alive. I say, oh, you're not dying now, buddy. You know, and, and so, so in that, so what Naomi's saying is, look, I don't have any other sons to give you and I'm old. And even if I got married, right? Even if I believed I could get married, if I had babies, by the time they grew up, I mean, this is not a good thing. So go home. Go back to your family. Go back to your people. There's a shot for you. There's no shot with me. You know, and what I love about this is not only does Naomi bless these girls on the way out, but Naomi cares about them at her own expense. Because it's one thing for a single woman, and it's another thing for three single women. I mean, there is more strength in numbers than a single woman in that culture on her own. But now she's saying goodbye to the two people, the last two people in her life. And this reminds me of Philippians chapter two, verses three and four, where it says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. See, Naomi makes a decision that is selfless. She puts herself at a greater disadvantage because she cares about these girls. You know, I know what the problem with selfishness is. It's one of the greatest blind spots that we all have, isn't it? Like, do you ever really realize when you're being selfish until after the fact when you've been super selfish? I would say the problem with the blind spot is the only person who doesn't know that they're blind there is the person who has it. We're so used to being self-centered people that we don't even realize it most of the time. You know, and when you see an example of Naomi, you know, it's like these girls are an oasis for Naomi. And now Naomi is an oasis. She's looking out for them. She's saying, look, this is a good thing for you. And Orpah takes her up on it. Now, we don't want to knock Orpah for it. You know, Orpah looked at the situation or she's obeying her mother-in-law. But that's not the only story that goes on here. Because look what happens. I skipped this at the very end of verse 14. It says, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, This is Naomi. Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts you and me. And when Naomi, she saw that she, speaking of Ruth, was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now, two daughters-in-law, Orpah says, okay, I'm going to go. But Ruth clung to her. The word clung in the Hebrew language is the same word as a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife and the two will become one flesh. See, Ruth clings there and says, no, 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 don't make me leave. Where you go, I want to go. I want your people to be my people. Your God, I want your God to be my God. Where you die, I'm going to die also. Where you lodge, where you stay, I'm going to stay also. And she said, if I don't do that, may the Lord judge me. And I love verse 18 because it says that when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now, it's not like Naomi's like, well, I'm done with you. Stop. She stopped trying to reason with her about it. 
She knew that Ruth was set. Now, you want a great key in a messy life when everything goes wrong? Here's the thing. Determined to follow the Lord. Ruth is determined to be with Naomi because she, Ruth, growing up in Moab, knows that the people of Naomi, the Jewish people, were the people of God. And the God of the children of Israel was the true and living God. And she clung to Naomi and she was determined to go. And she said, I want your God to be my God. Now, here's the thing, brothers and sisters. I think that this is the key to growing in your walk with Jesus. Now, listen, I'm not talking about how you get saved, right? Like you get saved by putting your faith and trust in Jesus, right? You trust that Jesus's life was perfect and yours isn't. That Jesus died on the cross for your sins because if you died on the cross for your sins, you'd still be dead and you'd be judged for those sins. But Jesus was resurrected because he conquered sin and death. So salvation comes by the gift of God. Now, what I want to talk with you about is how, when you're a follower of Jesus, how Jesus transforms your life. He does it by his spirit, but he does it by us choosing to abide in Christ. Clinging to Christ. Being determined, no matter how messy life gets, I am going to follow Jesus. Now, Orpah takes the road more convenient. She looks at her prospect. She's like, life's messy. I'm not married. I'm going to go back to my mother's house. Naomi wants me to go. I'm just going to go there. But what she realizes is by making that decision, she is forfeiting her ability to walk with the true and living God. Because God is the God of the children of Israel. See, how many of us in the midst of our messy lives are not clinging to Jesus, but we're starting to walk a little shady? Instead of taking the road less traveled, you're taking the convenient road. See, Jesus wants us to cling to him. Now, the spirit of God makes sure that we stay there. But like, we can all be honest about this. I'm not talking about how we get there. I'm talking about how we grow in sanctification, how we become more and more like Jesus every single day. You know what it's like not to cling to Jesus, don't you? We've all done it, right? Something goes on. You know, Jesus says, hey, you know, this is what I want you to do. The word says it's super clear. The spirit of God whispers in your heart. Oh, no, no, no. Don't do what you always do. And before you know it, you blow your top, right? Or before you know it, you act in a way that you're like, I can't believe I just did that, right? But because you've already done it, now you're so used to hunkering down on that thing. See, but Jesus says that he is the vine and we are the branches, And so our job is every day to say, Lord, I want to abide in you. Lord, I want to dwell with you. I need to cling on to you. And that's why it says, and these are some beautiful verses. You want to know how to grow in discipleship? Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 26. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me or be my disciple, let him deny himself daily and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus is What is the context that your messy life exists in? In today's message, Pastor Daniel showed us the context of Naomi's messy life, including famine, becoming a refugee, and losing her husband and her sons. The thing to remember in the middle of your mess is that life is messy, but Jesus is real. He takes the messy parts of your life and transforms them into something incredible for your good and for His glory. 
Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here, lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church in Vancouver, Washington. We would love to connect with you in person. We have services on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you are not able to join us in person, connect with us online at live.crossroadschurch.net or find us on Facebook at Go, the number two, and Crossroads. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio, and Pastor Daniel will share the story of one amazing woman. When a woman walks with the Lord and allows God to do what he wants to do, extraordinary things happen. Ruth was a woman in desperate need, but God always knows what to do. Your need is God's opportunity. If you have issues, you are a prime candidate for God to do something miraculous in your life. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Oasis. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.